Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingan. Pay for good journalism, of course. Go to The Athletic and, and pay for the good journalism that's over there uh, all over the website, of course. Uh, and make sure you are rating, reviewing, subscribing, all those good things. You got the YouTube page, the social media accounts. Make sure you're clicking all the subscribe buttons, paying for good journalism, all that good stuff. Uh, today on the show, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I have no problem, Adam, admitting when I'm wrong. You actually are very good at this as well. So I'd like to think that we're very good at this as a show of saying, hey, you know what? We were wrong about that. Um, I have sort of had a narrative in my head about this Predators team that they are up to the, they play up to the competition. They play down to the competition because they've lost some games to some bad teams. They did it again on Friday against Buffalo. And however, the numbers and the statistics might tell a different story. And I might be totally wrong about this team. So we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. How does this team play against good teams and against bad teams? We'll describe and explain and give you all the records you need to know about this Nashville Predators team. We'll take a look at the next three games in four days. We'll do that a little bit later on as well. We've ha- we have to sort of talk about the records that are being broken or on the verge of being broken because it's even though the horse is pretty much dead at this point, it is remarkable every time, Adam, I open a box score for a Preds game. It just it, it really is. And, and, and obviously, Tuesday night's win over Minnesota was was exactly the same. We'll get into that win, what it means for this team and the line combinations. What do we want to see from John Hines and the lineup moving forward? So we're going to do all that today on the show. However, before we do that. Gold Standard is brought to you by the wonderful folks at. Jaspers. Jaspers. Can we can we can we say it with some enthusiasm, Adam? Jaspers, like a you soccer, it. like a soccer announcer. That would be Jaspers. You <laughs> definitely cut out, but I thought that was excellent. I thought that was great. I, I thought you did wonderful work there, sir. Um, Predators games. How many we got left? 13, 13 Predators games left. Yes. Uh, not a whole lot. Great happy hour specials at Jaspers over on West End. You will never pay for parking. And you can pay $3 for a beer and $10 for a burger during Preds games, home and road. That is, I don't know. That's like, you could park, get two beers and a burger and probably pay less than you would pay for just parking at Bridgestone Arena, which I'm sure Sean Henry hates to hear. But that is the truth. It's just the truth. This is what Jaspers is here for. They're here for great food, great happy hours, Predators fans, the gold standard cocktail named after this show. Make sure you check all that good stuff out over at Jaspers. Okay. They don't play good hockey against Buffalo. Bad start, bad finish, 4-3 loss. They get a great start, a lot of special teams, three power play goals in the first period. Ryan Johansson, his first career hat trick, we'll get to some of that stuff in just a minute, uh, as he got to 20 goals, which, of course, as you guys know, I'm, I'm mildly obsessed with the 20-goal score you know, record chasing that they're doing. Uh, but a 6-2 win, and, and they now have a 90% chance of making the playoffs with – Four games coming up before our next episode, Adam. It felt like a performance against one of the hottest teams in the NHL at home in the division against Minnesota, a team they've been good against all season long, that 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 was going to be a critical game. They do show up. They get some help with the power play, but they score six goals. We'll get to all the records, but but more importantly, a really good offensive showing, a really good performance by UC Soros, two big points. They are sort of separated right now from St. Louis and Minnesota in the standings. They kind of pulled away last week. But at the same time, that was a critical two points and a big win over Minnesota that keeps them atop the wild card race and gives them a really good chance to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, 
yesterday was a big game for them in more ways than one. Um, Minnesota is a potential playoff opponent. It's unlikely, um, though, though possible, um, that they could finish in third place in the Central Division and face Minnesota, who is destined to finish in second. Um, but also, as, as you said, and we'll touch on this later in the episode, you know, we are of the mind, you and I, and I think, I, I don't think we're the only ones that feel like this team does a really good job of, of motivating itself when it knows that it's going to be playing a big game or, or a good opponent. Um, but on the other side of it, they tend to like, we, we, they tend to, at least we thought they did <laughs> play down quote unquote to their competition. Um, although the Buffalo Sabres are playing very good hockey right now. I believe they defeated the Carolina Hurricanes on Tuesday evening. Um, they've been uh, defeating some really good teams as of late. Also, uh, the Predators were the guests for the Rick Jenneret retirement ceremony, the longtime Buffalo Sabres uh, radio and television personality. Um, so there was certainly more reason to be motivated. Um, there, there was actually fans in the stands in Buffalo for that game, um, which, which you could not say for most of the season and last season and the season before that, you know, because although Buffalo is a crazy hockey town, the Sabres have given yeah, them very yeah. little to cheer about lately. Um, anyway, so I, I thought the start of the game on Tuesday was interesting three fights in the first period, I believe. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like, it felt like um, the, the wild were attempting to send a message or at least set a tone early in the game because the predators in their previous two games against the wild had won by pretty lopsided scores. I think it was six to two and five to two in the, in the first two meetings. Uh, between the teams uh, you saw Mark Borowiecki fight a couple of times um, I think it was Michael McCarron the other time there were four fights in all um, and to me it feels like there are always teams that match up well against other teams um, so you know perhaps the Predators are able to exploit a weakness of the Minnesota Wild um, in terms of getting them out of their game from a physical standpoint. And one of the things that we were talking about last week was that although the Predators won a couple of games, they beat Ottawa, they beat Philadelphia, neither game was to their identity. And I felt like, and John Hines was asked about this after the game on Tuesday, that if they were, if he were to show someone an example of what predators hockey is according to him yeah would the game against the wild qualify and, and and he said yes he said there were several examples but certainly being having just completed the game you know he said that this was a a step back in that right direction and i would agree uh, you know all of the things that we think of the predators doing well um in order to win 
they did. Now, if you look at the fancy schmancy deserve to win meter on moneypuck.com, <laughs> it said that the Wild deserved to win that game like 88, 89%. Um, just because of the sheer number of shots that they had, 49, I believe, but also a lot of quality. Um, I believe they had 22 slot shots on net against the Predators last uh, last night or Tuesday as we record this on Wednesday. I'd have to go back and double check. So UC Soros looked phenomenal, um, which was good for him too because his game has sort of slipped as of late relative to how he was playing at the beginning of the season. Did you see the Preds social media with the uh, the burglar outfit and you've been you've been robbed, basically? Like, I know you've you've been you've been big on the uh, robbery statistic for UC Soros, but 47 saves uh, with all those high danger chances, I I believe totally qualifies. So because I think the expected goals were like four and a half, maybe something like that. I think according to money puck, he saved like three and a half goals above expected. So according to according to sport logic, Minnesota had a 22 to 11 slot shots on net advantage in all situations, 13 to eight at even strength, nine to three on the power play. Um, So he was facing plenty of good looking chances, made a ton of big saves. um, And um, look, the Predators needed that win, you know, elsewhere in the Western Conference, the Dallas Stars won on Tuesday. They defeated the, the New York Islanders to keep pace with the Predators. Um, quite frankly, as you look at the rest of the schedule and, and the razor thin margin between the Predators and the Stars and, and the Golden Knights, even though the Golden Knights have played a couple more games, you know, really none of these teams can afford to slip up at any point. Yeah. Um, so the fact that the Predators not only won, but won resoundingly, I, I certainly think uh, was a good thing. Now, of course, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but now the key is they're going to play one of the few teams left on their schedule that's not in a playoff spot, Ottawa, on Thursday. Are they able to carry that momentum into that game, or are we going to have a conversation like we against Ottawa last week or yeah. Philadelphia yeah. or Buffalo where you know they don't have the same um, energy, uh, as they did against a, a, a higher quality team. And I, I looked at the records for Nashville all season against teams in the Western conference in the playoffs, teams in the Eastern conference in the playoffs teams, not in the playoffs. And we'll give you those numbers later on, because again, I, I think the, the, the narrative that I am guilty of sort of subscribing to was this team plays up and this play, this team plays down. And th- that's, that's not necessarily the case. We'll explain later, but they play very well, whatever you want to call it against Minnesota at three and zero so far in the season against the wild. Um, there's lots of knowledge there between the two franchises. I don't know if that's a part of it. If it's just stylistic, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, UC Saros, as you said, 47 saves, and this is, it really is remarkable this season. And I, I'm trying to come up with like a new way to describe Adam the, the all the different things that are happening for this team that that I think you know part of the like what I loved about sports as like a teenager or a kid let's say I'm ten years old is like I loved records especially the home run record in baseball like that was a huge deal and Roman Yosin had you know three points on Tuesday that is his eleventh three point game of the season the record is twelve uh, Paul Coffey in ninety four and Phil Housley of course his former coach. Uh, as assistant coach in 93 had 12 such games. So if he has one more game, 
he'll tie the, the NHL defense record for three point games in a season. Uh, I think you were tweeting about this in terms of points. He, he's got 84. He's one away from tying Paul Correa, but more importantly, he's on track to break the modern defenseman point record. And, and we've talked about this before. No one's reached a hundred since the early nineties. He's still got an outside chance to do that with 13 games and 16 points in terms of what he needs. Uh, but it's not just that it's every time you look at a box score, you know, Ryan Johansson is first ever career hat trick, uh, you know, Duchesne with a goal and an assist. He now has 72 points. He's going to get to 80. They, they've never had a player get to 80 outside of Paul Correa, and they're going to have three this year, probably get to 80. Philip Forsberg, three assists. He's now got 70 points. And you just go down this list of guys that we've discussed, and it's just like, statistically, this is, uh, it is an extraordinary season for the Nashville Predators. The horse is dead. I've beaten it. Um, the, the more important number that I want to throw out to you, Adam, and I don't know if you can ask John Hines this or if he's been asked this or what, but after last night, they are now 29-0-1 with a lead after two periods. We've talked about this number before, but 29-0-1 is no longer a trend. <laughs> it is just reality that this team is unbeatable with a lead going into the third period. Now, I'm sure they're going to lose all four games the next week before we do this in, in some crazy fashion, but the numbers are pretty astounding. If you look at a 29-0-1 record, with a lead after two periods, that's that's an insane number. I don't even know how to ex explain that to somebody. Well, do you have those same numbers from other seasons, or uh, if you uh, if you kind of say a couple of words here, I can pull that up if you'd like. Um, yeah, I think you know. I, I certainly think it's. I think it's obviously good. Um, there's no, zero complaint about it. Um, it, it speaks, it speaks well to their mentality, um, entering games, um, entering games in which they're leading in the third period, um, or entering the third period in games in which they're leading rather, um, you know, I, I would venture to say that if you, as you're looking these up from recent seasons, you know, I, I would imagine the record is nowhere near as good you know, anecdotally, I feel like, especially before the coaching change, when they were leading late, they tended, you know, to, to, to blow it. Um, the, the mental fortitude was not, um, as there as much as it was, um, as it is now, uh, rather. So, yeah, I'd be curious. I'm curious to see, to hear, do you have those numbers up? I, I am, I am efforting. So Peter Laviolette's first season was 15, 14, 15, 14, 15. Yeah. 15. So that's, I've, I went back to Lavi's first season and well, well, I am, I'm actually alarmed that the numbers are as good as they are. I guess it's just like really in general, it's just hard to win hockey games when you're trailing going into the third period. I, I thought there'd be more losses. There are some more, there's no zeros, right? There's no like 29 and nothing. So this is definitely better this year, but I am like last year under Hines, they were 17, one and one. Okay. Mm -hmm. The year before they were 22, two and three. So five times they did not get the win after leading. So that that's, that's a little bit more, but that's also half and half lobby and Hines right that year. Uh, yes. the, they were 35 and two, uh, three years ago, which is incredible. 37, two and four during the president's trophy year, I believe 
29-2 and 6, 26-1 and 4, 27-3 and 5. So in Lavi's first year, they lost the game eight times, didn't get the two points. Eight times. Five times is next year, eight times the next year, six times the next year. This time, so far this year, one time. So while the records are still very, like, it sounds like, to your question about what's standard here, that you should be winning, you know, like seven out of 10 times on average that you have the league going into the third period. And those, th- those other three end up as a loss or a, or a one point overtime loss. And this year it's just been one out of 30. So it is definitely improvement, right? Like zero is still an impressive number, even though 35 and two, one year under lobby is ridiculous. Like that's pretty impressive. So I guess the numbers are better than I thought on average, but still 29-0-1 sounds pretty ridiculous to me. And in the wild, you know, have been scoring a lot of goals lately. Um, so the fact that um, they were able to keep the wild off the board, now the wild taking as many penalties as they did certainly didn't sure. help. But when um, Kaprizov scored on the five-on-three late in the second period to cut the lead back to two, now, that was a good opportunity for the Wild to get back in the game because they still had a little bit of a power play left, um, and they had some good chances on that power play, um, but weren't able to to capitalize. And the Predators did a good job of uh, of getting out of dodge um, at the end of the second period, and then in the third period, settled things back down. And then Matthew Shane scored the insurance goal. Um, so that that, you know, that was that was an impressive one on four snipe for Matt Duchesne, by the way. You got to give him credit here. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> now, the Wild are the fourth highest scoring team in the NHL. As I look at this, um, they're at three point six one goals per game um, behind Florida, Toronto and Colorado. Uh, so a team that has no issue filling up the net. Um, and I, they and they had just and I think they had won nine games in a row. Um, recently, um, I think that yeah, I mean, yeah. I they were they that. were one of the hottest teams in the entire world. How about that? Yes, they are. They were one of the hottest teams. I'm looking at it right now. They had they had won nine of ten. They had won seven in a row. Actually, it's yeah. They had won seven in a row, lost one, and then won two entering right, right. the game against the Predators. So they were nine and one in their last ten games um, before last night. Um, and they were winning pretty convincingly too. Um, they were coming off a five, one win at Washington and before that, a three, one win at Carolina. Um, so they were playing good teams and, and, and winning convincingly. I believe the la- the predators are the, the last two regulation losses for the wild are against the predators. So they lost on, they lost on Tuesday. Their previous regulation loss was on March 13th against the predators. And before that, their, their next most recent, I guess you could say, um, regulation loss was March 6th. So in the past month, they've lost three regulation games and two of them are to the predators. So, and I believe it's now 16 to it's uh, either 16 to six or 17 to six is the aggregate score of three games, um, in favor of the predators, um, which is impressive considering, uh, what the wild have done. I do think it's interesting. And I, I, I should have touched on this when I was talking about the wild getting, um, you know, getting in the predators faces early in the game, 
you know, of course, the, the, the most notable acquisition of the trade deadline they made was Marc-Andre Fleury, who started last night. But they also got tougher. They got Jacob Middleton, who was among those players in the fight, um, who I believe fought McCarron. Um, and then uh, is it Deloria, I think I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he was also an acquisition of theirs. So he's getting the, the wild are getting tougher. Um, perhaps as you know, perhaps thinking that whether they play the predators or the blues, they're going to need, you know, they're going to need that extra element, but you know, the predators who lead the league in major and fighting majors and certainly <laughs> had their lead last night, Tuesday, you know, they're they're up they're up to the task. I like I John Hines said something funny. He was talking about like the Predators having testosterone in their game. And when there's like testosterone <laughs> in their game, they're they're at their best, which I thought was a really interesting <laughs> way of, of putting it. So n- there's no low T on this team. <laughs> um and, and some of that was Philip Tomasino playing alongside Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg on the top line. So they shift all the lines around. We talked a little bit about this last week. Are we going to see some more movement with these guys? Should they be making some adjustments? Was this an audition for Philip Tomasino as a top six forward? This guy is seventh on the team in points. He has a goal and two assists, including the one where he just brilliantly and selfish, selflessly gets the puck ahead to Ryan Johansson for his hat trick with seconds to go in the game on an empty netter, uh, who, who had, he had to work pretty hard to get that puck to him. Uh, just, you know, Yossi's feed to him and the snipe was great. Like Philip Tomasino at 20 years old is, is closing in on 30 points and is again, a top seven or eight scoring player on this team. And now he's going to be playing potentially first line minutes. I don't know how long the experiment goes. I don't know what, what John Hines is trying to accomplish, but we know how skilled this young guy is. And, and I'm, I'm curious what you think of the line shakeup because it's certainly, you know, getting Duchesne scores again too. So Duchesne at 36 goals, four away from 40 Forsberg's two away from 40. He's now playing back with Granlin, which I think is, was, was such a nice combination early in the season. I, I kind of like the idea of 26 on the top line, because I think you want to, you want to bring one of those studs back down with Granlin to play so that you can spread out some of that depth. At least that's, that's how I was feeling last week. And I feel vindicated Adam and justified with John Hines decision over uh, on Tuesday night. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a, a, a smart thing um, to do. Um, John Hines mentioned um, after the game that it was something that he and his coaching staff had discussed. And it was a collaborative effort with, with the players that would have been involved. Um, so um, I, I, so I, I, I like the, I like the idea of it. Um, the odd man out was Ellie Tolvanen who was scratched and, and John Hines went into great depth about, um, about why he did that. Basically saying he felt that the production isn't there, but it wasn't about the production. It was about the scoring chance generation. It, uh-huh. it wasn't as if though it, it was, it, it, it would be one thing basically what John Hines said is it would be one thing if Tolvanen was creating opportunities for himself and not scoring, but the fact that he's not scoring and not creating enough opportunities for himself is why they felt he needed a quote unquote reset. And look, Tolvanen has got nine goals in 65 games. He's been, he's been uh, bitten by some bad luck this year. You know, you could say the same for Luke Cunning. Um, 
And I expect Ellie Tolvin not to be, you know, on the bench for, you know, a long period of time, but I also wouldn't expect him to play on Thursday just because of how well things went on Tuesday. Right. Um, but the, the one thing that has bitten this team in, in the rear end in the past, I'm thinking back to 2018, particularly in the postseason, is an unproductive second line. Um, and at that point, it was Kyle Turris, Craig Smith, and Kevin Fiala, who went missing during two playoff rounds. Um, and, and, and the Tolvanen, Granlin, Cunning connection um, has struggled to generate offense. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense to uh, give Tomasino a little bit of run with Forsberg and Johansson. Duchesne and Granlund have plenty of chemistry. You could put that on there. Um, you could put them together. Cunning moved over from the right to the left. Um, you know, so I, I think it gives them balance and, and I think it would help. I think, you know, and, and I think back to other postseasons where the predators rely, were relying solely on, you know, the Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson line, um, so by, by separating Duchesne from Forsberg and Johansson, theoretically, you can, you can balance, uh, yeah. the attack, you know, if you're at home, you can control matchups a little bit better. All of the things we always talk about, uh, in the postseason. Um, so I think it was, I think it was the right idea. I like that John basically went to all of the players involved and they collaborated on it. Um, it seemed like Tolvanen was on board with the reasons why he was being taken out of the lineup, at least according to John. Um, <laughs> you know, and my with my experience with Ellie Tolvanen, you know, who I've gotten to know, you know, over the past few years, you know, he's not one to 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 pout. Um, yeah. I think he takes yeah. all of these things in stride. Um, so he'll be back in the lineup. You know, you could put him, you could put him on the line. If you want to keep Tomasino where he is, you could put Tolvin in on the line with Cousins and McCarron. You know, Tol, you know, Tomasino fit in well with those two, even though on paper their skill sets wouldn't seem to be, you know, right, right. Complimentary. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it I, I mean obviously worked on Tuesday and we'll see how long it goes, but it seems like the players like the idea. Yeah, and it, listen, goal and two assists, six goals bounce back from a bad showing. And I'm not suggesting that we're planning John Hines' strategies for him, but we did say that they need to drop Duchesne down the line to balance out, to try to find some more pop in that second line. We did say that last week. And when Gover was filling in for you, Adam, I don't know if you know this, but we had to start every single episode with bragging about how we were sort of um, the, the assignment desk for all of Nashville Predators media. Because we would talk about something on the show, and then all of a sudden over the weekend, everybody would start talking about it, whether it was, why the hell are we booing Ryan Suter or, you know, Tanner Janot or whatever it was. I, I think we said last week on the show that we thought Matt Duchesne should be dropped down the line to be playing with Granlund because Granlund has, you know, th that whole line has come to a screeching halt since they made that move. We understand why they made that move. But I think if you've got a weapon like Tomasino that can play on the top line, maybe it's not every night, but every two out of three, let's say, uh, you know, I, and again, I don't know what, who, which players need chemistry and which players don't take long to get used to each other. Like that's all stuff that they have to decide that we can't decide or even really comment on. Um, but it did work. And I'm with you as long as everybody's okay with it and everybody's clear on communication lines and, and John Hines is willing to talk about it openly with us, something the previous regime would never have done. Then I, then I, I'm, I'm all good with what they're doing. Um,
Um, let's see what let's see what happens. You got three games in four days over the weekend. We will talk about those games as well as some other stuff uh, after the break. So, Adam, unless you got anything else to add on the line combinations, anything else you want to see, um, we can move along here. Unless you've got something else to add, let's move right along. All right. So when we come back, uh, the records that the Nashville Predators have put up against playoff teams in the East, playoff teams in the West, non-playoff teams in the East, non-playoff teams in the West. Does this team actually play up to the competition and down to the competition? I've got a pretty clear answer for you, and we'll do that when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is a podcast covering the Nashville Predators from the 440 Sports Network, hosted by me, Braden Gall, and Adam Bingen of The Athletic, Pay for Good Journalism. And it isn't brought to you by who? It's brought to you by Jaspers. (laughs) I think you said that better than I did, actually. Uh, Jaspers. The next evolution of the sports bar over on West End. Happy hour specials. You got great drink specials and burgers for Predators games. Home and road. No parking. Great menu. Grab and go market. The Papa shot. The air hockey table, which, by the way, no trapping of the puck on the air hockey table. Okay. Steve Cavendish does it every single time. You strike me as someone who, Adam, would be a stickler for the rules in those games, as I am as well. And Steve Cavendish was just extraordinarily cavalier with his paddle in the air hockey game. And, and I just, I was offended by his behavior. So I don't know. I, I I've taken my, I've taken my Papa shot technique from when I was, a, I, think I was a teenager, maybe even younger. I was in New York city with my dad and we went to the NBA store and they have, as you might imagine, a pop a shot at the NBA store. And a random gentleman just decided to come up to me and like give me pointers on how to do pop a shot. Because I think the problem is, at least for me, according to this random dude, was that I was actually like trying to shoot like I was like like a real, like real basketball. Like real basketball, a, yeah. Like a real basketball into a real hoop versus just like, like a, you know, just picking it up and tossing it at the hoop. So... You know, it's worked, you know, thanks to that random guy. I, I don't know where he is now. I don't even know if he's alive. Um, shout, shout out to that random guy at the NBA store. Random, yeah, to that random no, adult but, who's talking like, to a preteen at the NBA store. You've played air hockey before, right? Like it's many a, times. Right. Like you can't pick the paddle up and stop the puck. Like, no, you whole, can't. The whole point is to keep the paddle on the ground. Anyway, um, here's a question for you, Adam. How were you feeling Saturday evening? How was I feeling Saturday evening? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how how is how is this weekend's uh, you know roller coaster of emotions for you as a Duke basketball fan? How's how have you been handling it? Are you okay? I've been handling it all right. Um, I had a bad feeling about the game all week. Um, and when they lost Duke, that is, I, I was not surprised, though I, I was upset, as you might imagine. <laughs> However, um, the, the pain was slightly dulled by the fact that North Carolina is now in possession of the <laughs> largest blown lead in national championship game history. I, I, I uh, knew that's where you're going to. So, you know, does it does it change the fact that Carolina beat Duke in Mike Krzyzewski's final home game and final home game in general. 
no, that still very much sucks. Yeah. But I can yeah. I can live with it at least a little bit more than I thought I could because Carolina choked on <laughs> on Monday. It wasn't as sweet as Villanova's uh, game winning buzzer beater from 2018. I believe uh, it was Chris, Chris Jenkins, I believe, Chris right? Jenkins, Chris Jenkins. Let, let me tell you a great story about that. Go no, to we Jaspers. don't, we don't have time. We don't no, have time I want to tell you, I want to tell you, go to Jasper's. You brought it up. So I get to finish. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if they, I don't know if they still did this or not. Do you remember when I know they do this for college football? Um, the, the Homer broadcasts, do they, they do those for the, the, like the national title? Yeah. 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 Like, like, um, you know, Alabama has Eli gold or whatever. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a Homer broadcast. Now the NCAA men's basketball tournament experimented with this as well, I believe for the national title game in 2018. So there was the, the regular feed, the Villanova feed and the Carolina feed, the, the Carolina feed of the shot. Go from Chris Jenkins going in and the reaction is one of my all-time favorite broadcasting moments. <laughs> um, I don't remember which former Carolina player was on commentary. <laughs> my my belief is that it was Bra- Brendan Haywood, um, maybe okay. Antoine okay. Jameson. I think it was Haywood because he's actually done some analysis work. Um, but the shot goes in and all you hear is, oh, no. <laughs> And, and it was just, oh, it's so great. It was well, so what's, great. So, so there, there are scientific studies, and this is a really awful insight into the human brain. There are scientific studies that say that your brain is more active when you are rooting against a team that you hate than when you are rooting for the team that you love. And that is a terrifying thought when you package it with like social media algorithms. But that is what the studies will show you. Like if you hate North Carolina, your brain is actually more active watching North Carolina lose and choke and give up a 15 point lead and lose to Villanova or whatever than it would be if when Duke wins the game, which is again, a terrifying thought to, to, to really try to come to grips with. (laughs) Right. It's, you know, I I would not have been able to watch the game at Jasper's. Um, We talked about that last week um, off air that I needed to be alone. Um, My wife was following along on her phone upstairs um, as I was pacing downstairs, and, and when I came upstairs to go to bed, she said, I'm sorry. And all I could say was, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> We're living it. I'm so glad that she was like, she knew the only thing to say to you was like, hey, are you OK? Like, I, I like that. That's a good that's a good significant other right there. All right. Yeah. So after all of that, uh, go to Jasper's because they have great drink specials and they have great parking and they've got great food and they've got uh, they're a Predators bar, man. They're for you, the Preds fans. Basketball's done. It is hockey season now. We got one weekend of golf mixed in, but basically it's hockey season. So go to Jasper's and and uh, make sure you check out all the great food and the great drink specials and the free parking. Go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, Adam. So on the show, when we are wrong, especially myself, when I am wrong, because you're rarely wrong, but when we are wrong, we want to admit it, put our hand in the air, be held accountable. Uh, hold ourselves accountable. That's the whole point of the show, right? Is to be honest with you guys, to tell honest stories, to give you our honest analysis. Sometimes you're going to like it. Sometimes you're going to hate it, but we're going to be honest with you. And sometimes that means we're dead wrong. Uh, just ask our wives, I'm sure. And I have sort of been saying this all season based on, you know, without actually looking up records, but based on sort of 
what I feel like the season's experience has been, which is that when they play Colorado, for example, they're pretty good. They're two and one. When they play Minnesota, they're pretty good. They're three and oh, like they've been good against good teams. They've beaten the Kings two out of three times, like playoff teams. But then they've played down to the competition. They've lost a bunch of games they're not supposed to. Now, I want you to tell me if you think what, what you make of these records, if you think that that I was just dead wrong or that we were wrong or whatever. So Nashville's record against playoff teams in the Western Conference, 10-7-1. So better than 500, above 500. They've only played Calgary once, and they have a losing record against Vegas, against St. Louis. Uh, but they, as I mentioned, a winning record against Colorado, Minnesota, the Kings. They're zero one and one against Edmonton. So ten seven and one. That's good enough to win you a series, right? In the playoffs against the Western Conference teams. They are sixteen six and one against non-playoff teams, which now is officially the Chicago Blackhawks. By the way, congratulations for missing the playoffs officially. Congratulations to the the Avalanche for clinching a playoff spot. Um. They are 16-6-1 against non-playoff teams in the Western Conference. Now, let's go to the Eastern Conference. 10-4-1 against non-playoff teams. And the Eastern Conference has been completely batshit crazy this year in which the, the top eight teams making the playoffs have been the top eight teams the entire season. I'm not sure they've had a change in their, in their top eight the entire year, which to me is just remarkably bizarre. 10-4-1 against non-playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. So very good, the Predators. 4-8-1 against the best teams, the playoff teams in the Eastern Conference, which means this team is 14-15-1 against playoff teams in the NHL this year. One game under 500. They are 26-10-1, 16 games over 500 against non-playoff teams, which actually means they have been stacking up points against bad bad teams and have been under 500 against the good ones. Do we owe the audience an apology? Do I owe the audience an apology? I don't think so because I think as as I said anecdotally um anecdotally I uh I and you and many other people who who watch the team and cover the team feel that when it comes to playing teams that are not on the same level as the predators, or at least we believe are not on the same level as the predators that they, that they don't have the same oomph in their game as they do against we Minnesota, for example, like we saw on Tuesday. So I'm not like, I don't think you owe the audience an apology. It is interesting though. Um, you said they were 14, 15 and one against playoff teams this year across both conferences, across both conferences. That, that seems right for what we expect the predators to be, you know, basic, basically 500, a little slightly under, slightly under 500 against the best teams in the league. I think where, from where we, where we put the predators in the pecking order of the NHL, that, that seems about right to me. Let so me ask. I don't think so, so is there? Hang on. Say, I'm sorry. Before we move any, okay. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like I should apologize. Now, let me ask you this: Is there a better metric we should be using? Because that that record, as we've heard John Hines talk about, and as you and I talked about last week with him and his his feelings about the win over Ottawa, he didn't like the way they played. You know, is there is there an expected wins number that we should be using instead of the actual win loss record to say, hey, look, they actually do play better against good teams. 
because they are whatever more active, higher expected goals, more danger, high danger slot chances. Does that make, does that question make sense? Like, is there a better metric that we could be looking at to figure out exactly how well they are playing? Because if you use the win loss record, there's 16 games over 500 against bad teams. That to me is a doing what you're supposed to do if you're a playoff team, but it also means you you're not winning as many games against good teams as we thought. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think there are, I'm not sure exactly where they, where I would find that information. Um, but don't you, have, don't you have a fancy website or something? Yeah, but I don't know how much they, I don't know if you can separate it in such, in that way. Um, okay. Unless you were to like, I, I think that there, there has to be, but I, but I, I don't know if you can just go all the, you know, you can say, okay, let's take all the teams that are currently in playoff spots and, and add, you know, what add the expected goal percentage and all that stuff. Okay. So, but I mean, the records seem about right to me, just strictly wins and losses, a slightly under 500 record NHL 500 record um, against playoff teams sounds about right to me. Uh, are, how do you feel about Calgary right now? Because all signs are that un- until something drastic happens with either Calgary or Nashville or the rest of the standings, it feels like a Calgary Nashville matchup in the first round in a, in, in a cross divisional thing. They've only played once they're one to zero against Calgary. They are, they have their record against, you know, again, like I said, they're two and one against the Kings. They're Oh, one and one against Edmonton. They're one and two against Vegas. They have a better record against Colorado, Minnesota, frankly. What what do you make of a Calgary matchup right now? What are your initial thoughts if that was the matchup? Calgary is playing really, really well. Um, they've got, as I look right now, two of the top 10 scores in the NHL, specifically two of the top eight. Johnny Goudreau has 95 points. Um, Matthew Kachuk has 85 points. I believe they have three 30-goal scorers. Um Goudreau, uh, Kachuk, and Andrew Mangiapane, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, you know, Daryl Sutter uh, of Los Angeles Kings championship fame, you know, has that team playing really well. Um, I thought they made some uh, quality acquisitions ahead of the trade deadline. They were the first team to really make a big trade in February. They traded for Tyler Toffoli from Montreal. They, of course, traded for Cali Yarncroak. Um, you know, at the trade deadline, I really like their team. Um, I think they're, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think we all assume that Colorado, you know, is the, is the team to beat yeah. In, yeah. in the Western yeah. conference, but I think you could make an argument for, for Calgary and I could, and I would be willing to listen. Um, so, you know, I, 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 like you said, they've only played once and it's been a long time. Um, you know, I think it's been like since like October or November. I don't know exactly when, but they do have two games at home against them this month. So get back to me, you know, <laughs> after they play those games, just because it's been such a long time since the two teams have played. A lot has changed. That's it's an interesting, hard. that's an interesting, sorry to cut you off. That, that was an interesting wrinkle you just pointed out though, to me, that you're, you're only going to see a team in your conference as a potential playoff matchup one time through the first 90% of the season. And then you're going to see him twice in the last 10% of the season, right before you play seven times that, that has the makings of a, an intense series. So they played each other on November 2nd. That was so long I, ago. I believe that at least one of these games 
was one of the rescheduled games. Oh, that's right. So they should have played earlier, but because of the team's COVID-19 outbreak around Christmas, they had to move the schedule around, which is why they have, they're playing two games in a row, basically, you know, at the end of the season. That's a great wrinkle though, man. Like you look at why last year was so interesting psychologically. I mean, a, it was a bunch of teams you don't normally play right for the predators, but psychologically you had played Carolina so many times and Carolina had largely dominated the series, right? Like in the regular season last year and to then start, like they started out that series, And then I think they played what at the very end of the year, right? Didn't they play the last game of the season or the last two games of the season, something like that against Carolina. They, they just- the, that's a, I think the last, I, it was definitely the last game because yeah, that and was there the was a thing, a, but I, I, but I don't, I don't know if it was, two, I guess it would have been two in a row. It was a lot of familiarity and it led to an advantage for the predators. Some of that was the predators were young and hockey's just, that's how hockey works. But the, the familiarity I think helped Nashville in that series. Now Carolina's Look, talent, looking at the schedule, hold on. Yeah, Car- Car- I'll, I'll keep vamping here. Carolina's talent is what, of it, especially in the forward group, as we've talked about, was the difference. And if you see Soros in the defense for the Predators and all the things are going to be there this year, then you know we don't know as much about Calgary. We haven't seen them. We'll see them here recently. But that familiarity is going to help. Here's the other question I have for you, because I, we've talked about this with, I think it was Tampa losing to Columbus in a sweep. And we've talked about it last week on the show where it comes to, or how do you want to be playing at the end of the year? And you want to be, quote unquote, peaking at the right time. And I understand that. Colorado's already clinched. Is there is there something to be said for if you're a Predators fan and you're going to have a matchup with Calgary that you want Calgary to just go on a streak here, that continue the streak they're on, clinch the spot, and then take their foot off the gas? And maybe that gives you a chance? I, I don't know. I, I, great te- gonna, great like, teams don't let that happen. Yeah. And to, to answer our previous question the, the the hurricanes and predators faced each other in the final two regular season games last year so in all they played eight consecutive games against each other <laughs> that's crazy you um, include the postseason yeah it's a good question because for example the predators opponent on saturday is the florida panthers the panthers have already clinched a playoff spot but the panther you know the panthers just won a ridiculous game they were down 5-1 to the maple leafs they won 7-6 in overtime um, the difference, I th- you know, but the Panthers are very much still in a heated battle with the Maple Leafs and the Lightning and the Bruins for positioning in the Atlantic Division. Calgary, I, I Calgary, it, I think is the presumed Pacific Division winner, but I, I would not expect, but I, I'd still expect them to, you know, to be playing. I, I don't think they're going to sit guys or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's mostly just like the last week. If Calgary clinches before the last week and they've got three games left, let's say, is three games enough time for you to get out of to fall out of your rhythm, right? Like that's that's the question. Because it, it, didn't the Predators do that? Like, like didn't they didn't they have a year where they like they clinched super? I don't want to say it was the President's Trophy year, but maybe it was the year after that. It was, it was Peter Laviolette's first year. Okay, they. They lost, I think they lost like 15 of their, I was going to say 15 of 20 to end the season. That seems they, almost impossible. No, they, they, they went up, they, they were in position to win the president's trophy with like 20 games to go in that 14, 15 season. And they, 
um, and they slipped down the stretch, and that's how they ended up in the matchup with Chicago in the first round. Um, that that strikes me as like a but that but that's to me that's like a a, a two month long month and a half long slump where you just aren't as good as we thought you were. I, I'm talking about like. Again, like the Lightning a couple of years ago, where they were the one seed, the best team in the NHL, and they get swept in four games in the first series. Like clearly, something happened psychologically to that team. And what I'm curious about is if is is two games enough? If you take two games off without your stars because you've clinched, is three games enough where you rest guys and, and maybe you're not giving it? Maybe you're playing at 85 percent because you're saving something, or you just don't care to finish the four check on this one game because you've already clinched everything. I'm just curious. I, I just. I'd love to know if there is, I don't think it doesn't feel like one game can do it, but a whole week, maybe a whole week could take you out of your rhythm. I don't know. I'm just, it's just, I'm just floating it out there trying to find an advantage for the predators. That's all. It's hard to say. Um, You know, I I think right now, you know, the likeliest, the the likeliest playoff matchup is, is Calgary just unless Dallas, um, overtakes the predators in the wild card race um and in that case it would be uh colorado and speaking of calgary uh daryl sutter did have a great quote a couple weeks ago talking about the avalanche basically saying if you finish in the second wild card spot it's going to be a a waste of eight days because (laughs) because whoever whoever draws colorado is not going to have a good time um but i know there you go like to me by, by the way, I, by the by the way, uh, six, twelve, and three. Down down the stretch in fifteen, they okay, were six. So there were right, six, said, six, so twelve, I, I and said, three. Okay, so it's fifteen of twenty-one. I said fifteen. You're, you're pretty 21. close. No, you were really, really close, actually. But close. but they were four. They were four, five, and one over their last um, ten. So in that season. Yeah, they were four. Okay. So they were six, twelve, and three, which to me is just like that. That's that's going all the way back to February. Like that, that's just you not being good at that point, but four, five and one. Okay. That's a mini slump down this in the last couple of weeks. If Calgary goes like one, three and one in their last five, I could, that, that could be enough. That could be all you need in the NHL to break through. I'm, I'm just, listen, I'm grasping at straws here. <laughs> no, I mean, I always find it interesting. You know, I feel like there are plenty of examples. There are plenty of examples of teams that, play well in their final stretch of regular season games and then shit yeah, the bed right in the playoffs and vice versa um so you know it, you know i don't know how much stock i put into that like would i don't you, think it go ahead well i was gonna say would you rather play edmonton i mean you don't i mean i i wouldn't want to get into a a, a seven game series with leon drysdale and Connor mcdavid but that team is, is, is ripe to be exploited, particularly in goal. Um, and, so. and, and, and between the ears. So mm. they're like Toronto, right? Like they just have this, this innate ability to screw things up yeah. in, the po- in the postseason. So, okay. Just, I just wanted to float it out there. I just want to float it out there. I think, I think the best case scenario, honestly, would be to draw Minnesota if they finish oh, in third. If, it's, not if, even clo- it's not even close. I agree with you on that. If they finish in third, which they which they can, I believe they're two points behind the Blues as we record this. Four, uh, four points back of the Blues as we record. I, oh, think, okay. I think St. Louis has um, one game in hand. I think they've got an extra game. 
So, it, I mean, it, it would take a little bit for them to they catch They have the Louis. same amount of games. They've both played the same amount of games, okay. and the Brewers are four points back. I, I would say, I would say it's, it's, I, it goes without saying to me that Minnesota is by far their best matchup in the first round. It's not even mm-hmm. close. It's not even close. I don't want anything to do with St. Louis. I think I'd rather play Edmonton or Calgary than St. Louis, to be honest with you. Interesting. Yep. I, for some reason, Dallas makes they, – they've played well against Dallas. Obviously, they cannot match up against Dallas. It's, it's almost impossible. At least not um, in the first round. Yeah, not in the first round. It's almost impossible. But, you know, to, your, <laughs> to Suter's point, like Vegas right now, the two teams we thought were the best two teams in the Western Conference are, gonna, are scheduled right now to play in the first round of the playoffs. Vegas and Colorado. So, and that'll change by the time you probably listen to this. So, um, Ottawa Thursday, Florida Saturday, Pittsburgh on Sunday, San Jose next Tuesday. San Jose is terrible. Ottawa is terrible. Florida and Pittsburgh are both very good. What do you want to see from this team over the, the next four games before we come back and meet with everybody next week? I would like to see them play. I would like them to be the clearly better team against Ottawa and San Jose. Um, I'd like, I'd like for them to give Florida a game. They, they, you know, they beat Florida earlier this season. It was a really exciting game, but as I just alluded to, you know, the Panthers can score a ton of goals. Um, this will be the first time that the Predators have seen the Panthers since they made all of their trade deadline acquisitions, namely Closure Giroux. Um, so, you know, they beat, they beat, they, Pits- they beat Pittsburgh too. And if they lose, if they lose the Predators to the Panthers, like at least make it the game. Like, don't C- get could you could you argue that the two wins over Florida, the way they did it down in Florida, coming from behind like four times, and then sort of dominating Pittsburgh? Could you argue that those are two of the most impressive wins of the entire season? Yes, for Nashville, for sure. Yeah, like so. There's again, that's the playing. That's the anecdotal. Like they play up to the competition, right? Like, oh, David Riddick is going to go down and save 39 shots and beat Florida on the road coming from behind. <laughs> that makes sense um all right adam that that about does it for this week uh we'll be back next week of course everybody thanks for hanging out with us go to jaspers where can everybody find you adam at theathletic.com and on twitter at adam vingan you can follow me at Braden gall check out the youtube page check out all the socials just hit subscribe to all the all the different places that you know you need to push the buttons so just go ahead and click all the buttons we really appreciate it um uh and of course go to jaspers free parking great drink specials for you preds fans out there the gold standard cocktail named after this year's show. We really appreciate their support. So you guys go support them for us. Okay. How about that? For Adam Binga, my name is Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again next week, folks. This has been the gold standard podcast on the 440 sports network.